Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Anybody here for the first time tonight in the room? Welcome. Welcome back, everyone else. Welcome to anybody joining us on Zoom for the first time. If I can do that without, nope. I'd like to begin class by asking you to talk to each other a little bit in service of Against the Stream becoming a place where you develop community, you meet people, develop friendships, hopefully get to know each other. Central part of Buddhism is um, taking refuge, finding community, taking refuge in uh, like-minded people who are also meditating and, and practicing the Eightfold Path, practicing these principles in our lives. So I'll give you a topic to discuss with each other before we get into the meditation and and talk tonight. I'm going to talk tonight about compassion. Um, Last, I'm doing a a series. I started last week on loving kindness. Are you doing the same series, Jason? Me and Jason, Mondays and Wednesdays, same series on accident. Maybe you inspired me. I don't know. Let me talk about compassion. So to reflect on your experience of compassion, what's it mean to you? What's it feel like when when you are experiencing compassion towards someone else's pain? You're experiencing compassion towards your own pain? Maybe the third thing also, like what is it like to receive compassion from someone else? Do you like that when someone cares about you? Or does it feel a little too intimate? Stop caring about me. Vulnerable to allow people to have compassion for us when we're suffering. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, What is your experience with compassion? And I'll talk a bit about the Buddhist teachings and the the central skill of compassion. Um, But before I talk about that. I'd like you to talk to each other a little bit and, and maybe reflect. You only have like a minute or so. I know I give you a bunch of topics. You only get to talk, you know, each person should take about 75 seconds, like a minute and a half or so to introduce yourself and to talk, you know, and really concisely about compassion. Um, and in the breakout rooms, it's really important to join them if you're at home to meet the other people that are, you know, developing this virtual sangha online community what's your experience with compassion and and maybe just say something about how has it grown if you've been meditating for a while are you seeing a shift are you becoming more tolerant more merciful more friendly towards your own pain that is that happening yet should happen will happen Um, are you finding yourself to feel more uh, open to uh, empathizing and, and uh, caring about um, the suffering of others? Is that happening? This is a so central aspect of what the Buddha's path to liberation entails, 
without compassion, there's certainly no freedom, certainly no happiness. It's necessary um, skill that we have to develop. And it's a radical one. It, it's not a decision we can make. It's uh, we actually have to retrain our minds, re rewire our nervous system in some ways to experience compassion, true, true, deep compassion, especially when it comes to ourselves. So when you're talking to each other, you know, don't, you don't have to fake it. You can just be honest and humble about like, no, I fucking hate everyone. Mm -hmm. And I hate my pain, but I'd like, it sounds good to learn to not hate my pain, to have compassion for my pain. So go ahead, um, two or three people in a group uh, so that it's not too long. And at home, I'll put you in the breakouts. We use the term compassion a lot in Buddhism. Um, we're translating a word from the Pali, the original language of Buddhism. Um, the word is karuna. We translate it as compassion. Karuna, I'm told, literally, a more literal translation is uh, a feeling um, a movement, not sort of, sometimes we think of compassion as like an intellectual empathy. Um, maybe you've even heard the putting yourself in someone else's shoes as compassion. And there, maybe there's something nice to that, something true about that. But um, karuna uh, means that you're feeling, you're feeling moved by pain, like that there's a heart response. There's an emotional um, feeling of care, feeling of um, friendliness, of warmth, of, uh, of you know, I think caring is the, the best way to, uh, when we care about the pain that's happening, which is in some ways uh, the opposite, or at least very different from when pain is happening and we feel angry about it, or we feel afraid of it, or we feel uh, aversive, resisting. Um, and unfortunately, it seems like uh, the situation that we're born into is one of uh, naturally our survival instinct is such that we hate pain. Children are not born with compassion. Think of a, a baby in a, you know, in a, um, a newborn crying because they're in pain. Think of children, um, you know, having fits when they're uncomfortable. And there's just, there's just something born into our nervous system, our survival instinct that says, oh, pain is dangerous. It's unsafe. It's, uh, you know, there's no uh, internal, like, oh, I should just care about this pain. <laughs> uh, that, that's not something that's natural to us that's, that's um, something we actually have to learn. And then depending on our conditioning, uh, how our parents, primary caregivers uh, treated us when we were in pain. You know, if you got a lot of like, shut up, don't, don't feel that, uh, you know, a lot of cultural sort of like, don't cry, don't, you know, uh, our pain making other people feel uncomfortable and them not holding the kind of space for us to be in pain and compassion for our pain. Then we really get this, external conditioning that says it's not okay to be in uncomfortable. It's not okay to be in pain. Uh, it makes other people uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. Or um, So just a setup, you know, uh, 
before we meditate to understand that you know compassion isn't easy and you know the thing that i love about buddhism is that it also normalizes our lack of compassion and takes all of the blame and judgment out of the uh, fact that it's so difficult to be compassionate rather than putting some sort of like it's a sin or it's a uh, moral failing that you're not compassionate it's like no like the humans just aren't very compassionate we're not born with compassion for our pain we are on some level pack animals human beings seem to biological evolution we're pack. so there is some natural empathy for each other and most people would say it's much easier to care about other people's pain than my own and there's something naturally born into us where it's like yeah, i care about you but i don't i'm not very good at caring about myself because we need to care about each other to be accepted into the tribe and you know all of those sort of evolutionary needs that some some level of friendliness to each other or you'll get kicked out <laughs> you, you, you know the, the so there's some part of us that naturally cares about each other but not so easy to care about ourselves and <clears throat> That's what we have to learn. And so we meditate and we train our minds where we rewire our uh, habitual tendencies. If mindfulness shows us, you start meditating and you see, oh, I'm really not very good at being uncomfortable. I don't like sitting here being uncomfortable. Uh, I'm not very friendly to the, the judging mind, to the comparing mind, to the critical inner thoughts, all of those unpleasant inner experiences, mindfulness reveals oh, lots of aversion, lots of judgment, lots of fear, lots of stress and suffering about the unpleasant experiences that I have. And the teachings and maybe you don't even need to learn Buddhism just to somehow intuitively realize, oh, this doesn't work so well, I would like to be happy and hating everything unpleasant does not lead to happiness. I need to learn how to have some tolerance, some mercy, some compassion. And I really think it works like that. Um, as all of us come in to the practice on one level or another intolerant, and there's different levels. Some of you are incredibly intolerant. <laughs> some of us, some of us are, you know, just somewhat intolerant but we come in with some level the untrained mind is intolerant of pain and then as you start training your mind you develop tolerance you start sitting here and you say actually i'm i'm getting better at sitting still and having aching knees and a sore ass and a loud mind and difficult emotions become more tolerable over uh through our meditation practice and one of the reasons why mindfulness is so important so that we're doing something that's turning towards looking at what's happening moment to moment so many meditation practices uh, are designed to distract us from what's happening to create a pleasant experience mindfulness is designed to let you be with the unpleasant reality of your body and your heart and your mind in order to develop compassion if we're only meditating on these sort of pleasant uh mantras or um, sound baths or something like that where it's like oh yeah this is so pleasant then 
you know, that has its place for sure, but it doesn't necessarily ever going to lead us to being really uncomfortable and changing our relationship to pain, discomfort. Maybe that's enough, just that um, give some instructions in meditation. We come in intolerant, we learn tolerance, we learn mercy, we learn compassion. It's a long-term process for everyone who, who meditates. And, um, and you see the progress over the years of your meditation. So you're like, oh, I'm becoming more able to be uncomfortable more friendly towards my pain, more empathetic towards the pain of others, happens over the years of practice. So find a way to be that's upright. And when doing a compassion practice like this, sometimes you might give yourself permission to fidget a little bit when you get uncomfortable. Remember that like, it's really good to be uncomfortable. Really core to what we're doing to learn to be uncomfortable. I see some people grabbing cushions. Like if I had thought it through, I would have been like, let's all sit on cushions tonight. <laughs> These chairs are too comfortable. Sit on a cushion till your ass hurts and you develop compassion for the pain in the ass <laughs> that meditation is, can be. So when you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed. Begin by relaxing any tension that you can relax. Often tension in our body is resistance. Part of compassion is non-resistance. Soften your belly as you exhale. Release your shoulders, your jaw, your brow. Settling into the relaxed, upright posture. Establishing present time, non-judgmental, 
kind, compassionate awareness of the sensations that are here now, contact with the chair, cushion, Internally, setting your intention, your aspiration to meet anything unpleasant with tolerance and mercy and compassion. Saying to ourselves, may I learn to meet my pain with compassion. May I learn to respond to all of the unpleasant emotions, the fear, the loneliness, the boredom, the sorrow, the insecurity, with mercy and compassion, rather than judging the difficult emotions. May I learn to care about them, be friendly towards them. Saying to ourselves, may I learn to meet the physical discomforts, pains, aches, illnesses, injuries, the unpleasant physical phenomena of having a body, being in a body, May we learn to meet the unpleasant sensations with friendliness, with tolerance, with mercy and compassion. can use the phrases if you like, or you can just sit in mindfulness, present time awareness, 
And our awareness is pretty naturally drawn towards what is unpleasant. So when your awareness is drawn towards anything unpleasant in your body, your heart, your mind, we set this intention. May I meet this thought with compassion, this emotion, this sensation. Even if you can't quite do it yet, Even if the internal response is, no, you can't. Still just setting that intention, turning our heart, mind towards uncovering compassion towards our pain. can be useful and interesting to imagine that you're breathing in and out of your heart center, your sternum, the center of your chest. This is center energetic channel in our body that experiences both love and hatred, both compassion and resentment. Breathing in and out of the heart with the intention of meeting anything unpleasant with compassion, with mercy.
Remember to soften the belly each time it gets tight or the jar, the shoulders, an act of compassion to stop resisting. Let yourself feel what's here to be felt, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant.
spending the last few minutes extending compassion from ourselves to each other. The people sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, the people you spoke to in the small groups, people all over the country joining us in Zoom. Each one of us has our own pain, suffering. Just as we learn to care about our own pain, we learn to care about each other's. Even if we don't have personal connections, Extending compassion, may you learn to meet your pain with mercy, with compassion. May you free yourself from the unnecessary suffering of aversion and anger, resentment and fear. saying in your own way, in your own heart, I care about you, to the people sitting next to you. I care about your pain. Perhaps even breathing it into your heart, allowing yourself to feel their pain. Pretty easy to understand to imagine the struggles, the physical, emotional, mental difficulties we each experience. Extending compassion to everyone gathered in this Sangha tonight. Just pause for a moment and realize that there are
80 people right now, including you, in their compassion. Sending compassion to you. Take a couple breaths, breathe in, that 80 people are gathered right now, extending compassion to each other. Let yourself feel and receive these well wishes, these compassionate wishes from everyone else in the group tonight. Learning to care about each other's pain and learning to be cared about. Extending outward beyond our community in all directions, your friends and family, all of the people that you know are suffering at times, experiencing pain. Extend compassion. And as we go beyond the known to the unknown in all directions. The 8 billion human beings all experiencing pain every day. 
one level or another. Some it's quite extreme. Some it's not quite as obvious, but unpleasantness, pain is a given in the human body on a daily basis. Extending compassion in all directions to include all living beings and not just the humans, but the animals. All sentient beings, all living beings, all beings that experience pain with compassion. Breathing it into the heart. Breathing out compassion towards all living beings, the intention, the aspiration, May I learn to meet all of the pain in this world with mercy, compassion, friendliness, rather than anger and fear. May I learn to meet it with compassion. Before I start talking about compassion tonight, any questions about the meditation or the topic um, that are came up for you as we practiced? If you have a question at home in the uh, reactions tab, you can raise your hand on Zoom or in the room, you can just let me know. Leah, go ahead You can unmute yourself and maybe turn your camera on if you don't mind, be better. <laughs> Hi, 
So um, thank you. This is my first time being on here. I'm actually almost done reading your book. Um, and I just got the opportunity to do this with my boyfriend. So I found myself in the meditation of giving compassion to people that um, I'm not necessarily friendly with, um, my parents and beyond to people that um, I'm, I'm in another 12 step and we've been taught to pray for people and doing this meditation has helped me give compassion towards those. Um, do you find that to be very helpful in the meditation to do that with people that you struggle with a likeness? Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, certainly compassion doesn't mean, um, you know, sometimes they use the, even the term friendliness, but that doesn't mean we're going to be friends with or like them or uh, want to associate with them. There's absolutely a place for really good boundaries and for avoiding certain types of relationships. And compassion doesn't mean, um, you know, that we put ourselves in harm's way or anything like that. Um, and this compassion practice, probably next week or the week after, I'll do forgiveness practice. Uh, and in order to actually forgive the people that have harmed us and that uh, we're, you know, afraid of or, or, you know, resistant to associating with either the people in our families or just the, you know, people in the world that have different, you know, confused, ignorant ideas and actions and all of those things. Um, in order to really forgive, we have to see that everyone's suffering and that the only reason people are unskillful and causing harm and, uh, you know, coming from ignorant, confused places is because of their pain and confusion. And so this forgiveness practice helps us see what's underneath our fucked up parents or our, you know, the people who are like, wow, that person's a real jerk. And, but looking underneath and being like, oh, they're suffering. They're in a lot of pain. They're in a lot of confusion. They're in, a, you know, they're in, in some deep ignorance. Um, and it's worthy of compassion for their pain, not in any ways um, being complicit with their ignorant actions or the harm that they're causing or anything like that. Just the pain of the human condition that causes all of the problems in our families, <laughs> in our societies, on this planet. And so we're just, you know, the Buddha's encouraging us um, to get to the root and it's not so much for them. Yes. Mm -hmm. I know you were talking about in recovery. Sometimes they say, Hey, if you have a resentment, pray for them, but it's not that your prayers or your compassion or your loving kindness or, or even your forgiveness is going to do shit for them. Mm -hmm. But what it's going to do is a lot for us to free us from suffering at them. You hurt me, so now I'm going to suffer at you. <laughs> you're, you know, you're an unskillful person, so now I'm going to hate you and make my life miserable. Where compassion actually is like, oh, actually, I can just see that you're suffering, and so therefore I'm going to have some boundaries in this relationship, uh, but I'm not going to suffer about it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose to not suffer at you anymore by developing compassion and then forgiveness. Okay. Yeah. And I think that helps with the unskillful speech in gossip, <laughs> which I need to practice. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. Jeff or M. 
Hey, I got something for you, Noah. You can help me kind of untangle the intersection of compassion and justice. I've, I've found myself leaning towards this kind of maybe like made up rationale that, you know, sometimes justice serves to keep people from their own bad karma, you know, resisting uh, or restraining someone from further harm might be the right thing to maybe a compassionate thing to do. Speaking out, even, you know, if even incarceration, if it could give someone a, a opportunity to rehabilitate like that ever happens. But anyway, I just would like to hear you elaborate on the intersection between justice and uh, compassion and, the, you know, in the real world. Um, I, I don't know so much what to say. I'll, I'll try to reflect on it a little bit. My own, you know, opinion and perspective is that the you know American justice system um, is so biased and so broken and so um, fucked up <laughs> that uh, I'm sure that sometimes um, it could work in in some of the ways that you're uh, proposing. Um, I don't know, like actually for my own, I can maybe my own personal experience with the American justice system. Uh, is that, you know, by the time I was 17 years old, I had three felonies and was incarcerated. And it is that um, experience that led me to meditation. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, there was that kind of, uh, you know, the kind of the man-made laws uh, and my own unskillful actions that got me in so much trouble that brought me to enough fear of, you know, and suffering that said, oh, I'm gonna try something different. I'll try meditation. So in that way, there was this kind of um, the consequence of justice system, um, you know, led me to enough suffering to start this path. Now, mostly what Buddhism is teaching us is about karma. Now, I, I guess each country has um, a justice system. And throughout history, those kind of systems of, of justice, you know, are different through different periods. And, you know, there's a long time where if you did the kind of shit that I did, you just get killed for it. <laughs> you, know? you don't get locked up. You just, you know, like, oh, he stole, you know, chop his hand off or kill him or whatever it was. Um, so it's hard to talk about justice, but the Buddha taught that there was a karmic reaction to everything and that every uh, skillful, every compassionate moment uh, was developing uh, uh, positive compassion, positive uh, karma for us. Every act of kindness, of honesty, of uh, love of generosity, all of the positive actions were creating a positive uh, karmic fruit. And every unskillful, every moment of dishonesty, of violence, of uh, hatred, of uh, was creating a negative karmic momentum. And so, you know, the Buddhist justice system isn't about uh, laws. 
It's about um, the suffering that we create for ourselves, that our happiness or unhappiness is based in how we behave and how we respond to what's happening, how we react. Um, now, there is some intersection, but I find it too difficult to talk about, like, you know, certainly uh, uh, pretty much mo most of the things that I got incarcerated for were uh, negative karma producing actions. I was stealing and I was hurting people and I was getting locked up for it. Um, and, the, you know, so the, the negative karma of it. But a lot of people get locked up for like things like drugs that aren't necessarily negative karma producing things. And, you know, then we don't even want to get into the whole racial biased uh, nature of our justice system where, you know, pe white people get away with stuff that people of color don't get away with. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty broken system uh, in, in our country. And maybe that's true in almost every country. I don't know. But... Maybe I can be more specific. Like what yeah. would the Buddha do with the trolley car problem, for example, you know? Oh, the, so... You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you know, coming, coming to make decisions like that or like, you know, do, if we see somebody hammered getting in their car about to drive their kids somewhere, do we intervene yeah. as, as an act of compassion? Yeah. Well, I don't know about the, um, does everybody know what he's talking about? The ethical trolley car? Uh, there's the, the um, do, you, do you kill one person to save five lives? What, what does the Buddha say about like, sometimes can you murder in order to save other beings other other lives um i don't think that the buddha addressed it but basically buddhism is completely non-violent and i don't think that he would um encourage murder but it's a, such a ethical dilemma when you know i was one time meeting with a, a monk in the time of the george w bush presidency and he was so upset about George W. Bush that he, um, we started this conversation, took this really weird turn where he was like, I'm considering assassinating the president. And he said, if I wasn't a Buddhist monk, um, I feel like it would be the right thing to do to kill him. And, um, you know, because it would, you know, I think it would save a lot of lives. I think, you know, what's happening in uh, Afghanistan or in, um, Iraq at the time, or, you know, he's like, I just feel like it would just save so many lives if we could murder this guy. He's like, I'm a Buddhist monk, and I believe in karma. And I personally wouldn't, you know, uh, take the karma of that murder, even if it was justified, still, you'd have the karma of that murder and all of the, you know, negative rebirths that it would create is like, I'm not going to sign up for that. But, but I, you know, but I kind of want to. I just thought it was such an interesting, um, you know, from a monk saying like, it's that question about the trolley car. Like, are you willing to um, kill if karma is real and rebirth is real? And, you know, you would save, you know, the five, I think it's five people you save on the trolley cars. If I remember that, um, you know, would you save five lives uh, if you knew for sure that it would um, send you into kind of countless reincarnations in some really unpleasant lifetimes? And that you would sort of say, like, I'll save these five lives. They might not even be good people. For all I know, they're a bunch of scumbags. But I'll save their lives in order to 
and you know, and then I would take on the the all of those that karma of murdering somebody to save these other people that are going to be murdered. Um, so it's an interesting question. I think that Theravadan Buddhism lands on don't don't kill, even to save lives. Don't kill, please. Yeah. Um, on sort of on this topic, I'm wondering, like, if you're in a position where you're protecting yourself, you know, what's the karma of that? And yet murder. Yeah. Let's yeah. Say it gets to that. Um, you're not going to like the answer. <laughs> First, I'll give you my. So let me finish with Jeff, and then I'll come back to that. Um, you might, maybe you will like the answer. I don't know. Again, so, um, Jeff, you. I think you've heard me before talk about. I was in this situation one time at a concert at a punk show, and. Um, the guy in front of us got jumped by like three people and they were punching him and kicking him. And, and I had this like, oh shit, am I supposed to intervene? You know, this is an unfair fight. Am I, you know, am I supposed to intervene? And I was um, kind of well into my Buddhist nonviolence, my vow of nonviolence. So I didn't do anything, but my buddy Sham that I was with wasn't on a vow of nonviolence and he jumped in and started punching and tore him off of the guy and protected the guy. And then, you know, kind of the, the story comes out that he had just broken a bottle over somebody's head in the parking lot and they were getting retribution for the unprovoked attack that this guy had just done. We didn't see any of that. We just saw him getting attacked and it looked like an innocent victim of, you know, but he had just been the perpetrator. And then, you know, and I just thought that was an injury, you know, because it's like we don't always know what's going on. Now, the example that Jeff used of, you know, if you see a parent getting into a car intoxicated, should we intervene karmically out of compassion? My answer is yes, for sure. If there's something that we can't, part of compassion, I'm mostly tonight was talking about feeling compassion, feeling caring, but often it's appropriate for it to become an action, an engaged, compassionate response. The question is, uh, is there something that I can do about this or not? When there's nothing that you can do, feeling compassion is what we do. Feel, care, there's nothing you can do about it. But when you can do something, that's not gonna create a bunch of negative, you know, not murdering the president and creating a bunch of negative karma for yourself, do it, you know, intervene, try to have that conversation with the drunk driver, try to take their keys. Um, now, I believe in self-defense. Buddhism maybe is um, pretty pacifist, you know, in the kind of traditional, um, it's, you know, a, a vow of nonviolence. But if somebody actually attacks you, my personal beliefs is if you can do something to defend yourself, defend yourself. There's a line. Even there, you know, out of compassion for yourself, don't just become a, you know, a, a punching bag. If there's something that you can do to, to stop it, but there's a line uh, between uh, a, a nonviolent, hands-on uh, self-defense and violence. So, for instance, somebody attacks you, uh, and it's a male perpetrator in this case, and you kick him in the nuts. And they go down. Now, when you get the bat and start beating them over the head because they attacked you because you're angry, 
you know, kicking them in the nuts has is the nonviolent <laughs> self-defense, spraying them with the mace, whatever it is. That in my mind, that's a, a kind of just a, a defending yourself. But then when you're like, I'm so angry because you were attacking me and I'm so afraid that now I'm going to intentionally cause you more harm than necessary, then we, that's when we cross the line into not defending, but violence. There's a teaching from the Buddha. He says, if you truly understand my teachings and you've embodied compassion and you've embodied loving kindness and you uh, really understand that there isn't a permanent self here and, and there, that there's nothing truly to defend and that we're in this process of, of rebirth. He says, if you're attacked by uh, bandits on the road, and they are sawing off your arms and your legs. He said, those who truly have, have developed this wisdom would not let anger enter their hearts, but that they would have compassion for these poor confused fools that are acting in such violent ways. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's this radical nonviolence that say, you know, saying don't even, let anger enter your heart, have compassion, have loving kindness for these poor, confused people that are creating such negativity, negative karma for themselves by being violent towards, uh, towards you. Now, that's where I have this sort of revisionist of like, no, first spray them with the mace, kick them in the nuts, punch them in the throat, do what you need to do to stop them from cutting your fucking arms and legs off. And then if you are, you know, you lose, and they're cutting, you know, and they're chopping you up. Forgiveness, compassion. <laughs> okay, this is done. I, there's nothing, you know, I'm, you know, I'm overpowered here. So uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to die filled with hatred. I'm going to try to die filled with compassion. I'm going to try to die filled with love, with forgiveness. Um, when Gandhi was murdered and they shot Gandhi, uh, he, his, his practice was uh, the mantra Ram. And so the last things that, that uh, Gandhi said as he was dying was Ram Ram, kind of the name of his, his, his God, his mantra. Uh, that's a nice idea. You know, die with that name on your lips, with that compassion, with that rap. Uh, but Buddhism is not... sadomasochism it's not sort of like yeah just hurt me go ahead i'll be your punching bag protect yourself when you can protect other people when we can tricky business uh will and then nate um you talked about compassion for yourself in the meditation i find myself uh running through a laundry list of things that i have to remember to be compassionate towards myself for because I transgressed against myself with this and that. Found myself getting caught up in trying to name all of the things and then trying to let go of it, just having general compassion and then getting overwhelmed not knowing what I was being compassionate about. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how to address naming everything versus not how to kind of approach it all. Um. just experimenting. Sometimes it's quite useful to just have a general 
sense towards everything unpleasant. Now remember, compassion only has is a targeted response towards that which is unpleasant. So when things are pleasant and joyful and you know or peaceful, no compassion is necessary. Compassion is inappropriate when someone's having fun. <laughs> It's only appropriate when someone's not having fun, when we are in pain, when um, someone else is in pain. So compassion is very targeted in that way. So yes, sometimes it's very specific of like, well, I've got all these unpleasant thoughts and I'm trying to develop compassion for the judging mind and the comparing mind and the self-centered and the fear and all of those mind states that are unpleasant. And I want to develop compassion for my experience of all those unpleasant mind states. And then I have all of these physical sensations that are sometimes unpleasant. Sitting in meditation is such a great practice because the more uh, tolerant and compassionate we become towards physical pain, it does, it starts to translate into our emotional and mental pain. Um, So sometimes, you know, so try both. And when you get overwhelmed, then kind of say, oh, this is, I'm getting, there's too much going on at once. It's one of the nice things about um, the four foundations of mindfulness, where it's like, okay, I'm just going to work with the body, just the pain in the body, just developing physical compassion for physical pain. And then the second foundation is a compassion practice. Is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? Opening to just the unpleasant, um, you know, compassion for uh, any what's happening in my mind and really watching your mind as you open to the third foundation and try to identify how many of the thoughts that enter your mind have an unpleasant feeling tone and trying to uh, i don't know like i get a sort of gamify it in some way in your meditation where it's like you're zapping every unpleasant compassion that's calling that's fear compassion that's anger compassion that's resentment compassion that's jealousy compassion all of those unpleasant mind states are calling for compassion compassion as the why is the appropriate response to all of those uh, i don't know some image of like asteroids or some something <laughs> where you just sort of you know let me hit that one with compassion meet that one with compassion um And then sometimes it's just that general, may I learn to meet all of the pain in my life with mercy and compassion. May I learn to meet. uh, And I like learn or the may I, so that it's an aspirational practice rather than, I'm not a fan of um, affirmational practices or that are dishonest. When you say, I care about all living beings, it's like, you're fucking lying. You do not care about all living beings until you do. May I learn to care about all living beings. I love everyone. Bullshit. May I learn to love all living beings. So just kind of bring it back when it gets overwhelming, bring it back to something more simple or maybe to that general. I was just going to ask, you kind of just brought it up just now, but like the acting as if and the level between like actually being compassionate to all. And then it brought me to the question of narcissists. 
and do they act as if they don't have, they don't know how to feel like deep levels of empathy or really compassion for others, maybe on a surface level. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts about compassion and narcissism. I guess. <laughs> do they feel compassion? I mean, I don't, um, I don't know from, from what I understand, like what you're saying is that people with real clinical narcissism um, have like a very little empathy that there's some, but what's important here is that um, it's a deep well of pain and confusion that led to that narcissism. So narcissists are worthy of a ton of compassion, even if they, you know, anybody that can't empathize at all with other people, like how much suffering and confusion created that. And so it's, you know, it's really easy to vilify and demonify and judge people with a narcissistic personality disorder. But uh, from our person, you know, from what the Dharma is teaching us, uh, have try to have compassion for them. I mean, try not to be in relationship with them, <laughs> but try to have compassion for them. Uh, and, and forgiveness and friendliness and love towards these people, but also have really good boundaries when you identify that and be like, oh, this isn't going to be a, a safe, healthy person to be in relationship with because um, we need empathy. We need to be with people who, um, you know, don't get violently defensive when, when uh, you know, they're confronted like, like a pathological narcissist would. Um, so all of the psychological disorders are worthy of compassion. And, um, and some of them are very hard to be around. And so sometimes it's a distance, a compassion at a distance <laughs> um, rather than, we have to be careful for our compassion to become um, <clears throat> lack of boundaries or codependent. Or I heard one Tibetan meditation Buddhist teacher say, um, we have to, uh, identify the difference between true compassion and idiot compassion. <laughs> and idiot compassion is when there's a clinging to the pain going away. When there's a feeling that it's not okay for this pain to exist and I can't be happy until it ends. And that that's actually codependency or, or some other kind of this clinging idiot compassion, he called it. Uh, and that, and I don't think I said this in the beginning. From the Theravadan Buddhist perspective, uh, when we're in the full karuna experience, there's no suffering. When we're in compassion, when you're truly coming from a place that compassion has no clinging in it, has no craving in it. It has only caring. And so we all have to have the humility to be like, oh, I don't experience that, that, you know, I hardly ever experience totally non-attached caring. I, you know, there's usually some clinging involved in my caring. I have, you know, there's some, but, you know, we all have to be like, most of the time I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm practicing idiot compassion. I'm attached. I'm craving for the pain to go away where the, the Buddha said, oh, zero suffering here, zero uh, need for it to be different, just a loving response, just an open, caring heart to the pain that is without needing it to not be. 
where you know we're wired in, in our unenlightened state to be so attached and so aversive and so uh, protective and so sentimental and so you know all of those things that are natural but also create a lot of unnecessary unhappiness for us. Nate, last one. Or I'll take K's to Nate and K. Awesome. Thanks, Noah. Um, yeah, hold on. I was like writing the question down so I get it right because I was having to tease it out in my head like 80 times. But um, so quick example of what I'm about to talk about here in Chicago, there are a lot of there have been a lot of like carjackings and armed robberies and stuff on the streets and stuff. And it's just being publicized a lot more. Um, and a lot of it's perpetrated along, unfortunately, it's, uh, you know, people who are poor. And most of the time, those, uh, a lot of the time, those folks happen to be uh, people of color. And a lot of the media coverage and the backlash on the internet is people saying racist things and just like not understanding that this is the root causes of this are the real issue. So I guess that brings me to the question is what's our responsibility as Buddhists to help those who don't view things from a compassionate or compassionate viewpoint or may not have all the facts. Obviously we don't go on mission trips and push Buddhism down, down folks throats and everything. Um, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. You know, I often have, um, there's my opinion, and then there's the Buddhist teaching, and they don't always line up. Um, my sense is if we look at the uh, Buddha, and, you know, this is 2,600 years ago in a culture of systematic racism, the caste system, in a culture of um, total gender inequality and oppression. Um, you know, culture not so different than ours and in some ways uh, way worse than the modern racism that we face, um, where it was, you know, culturally systemized racism, which is still happening, but there's been some, um, some growth, some improvement, some uh, movement towards um, justice and equality in modern times that um, wasn't happening back then. And the Buddha spoke out against it and tried to educate people. Um, it was part of his teaching. He, you know, did a lot to change people's minds about the racist um, systematic oppression in India of the caste system. And he created a culture, a subculture in the Buddhist Sangha of um, a meritocracy based on um, how you showed up in the community and how long, you know, everyone was welcome to join uh, from every race, every caste system. Um, and this was radical because um, in his culture, uh, there was total segregation and he created a non-segregated community. And um, no matter what race, caste, you know, you were from, um, your merit was based on how long you'd been practicing and how many retreats you had done and, and um, not based on your uh, ethnicity or your caste. 
So he did that, you know, he did this really radical thing towards, you know, educating. Um, he, uh, you know, created a Sangha for women and it hadn't really been done in, in Indian history um, where women were empowered and, um, you know, there was a whole hierarchy for the nuns that wasn't done in, in the Brahmanic Hindu tradition that he was rejecting, that was so sexist. So I feel like the Buddha does leave us a kind of engaged political, um, you know, uh, identity politics kind of, uh, you know, he was, he was into it on, you know, he was, uh, he said, you know, primarily what we're talking about here is the human suffering. But of course we have to deal with some of the relative ways that we create oppression and suffering for each other. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's not based on gender and race and orientation and identification, any of that stuff. This is the human condition. And mostly, most of Buddhism comes from this, um, not the relative oppression of race and gender and orientation or identification. Mostly just comes from the human condition. But there are plenty of times where he's talking about the relative reality of gender and race and, and bias that, that humans create racism. So there's a place for it. Um, but also, you know, what the Buddha did and what I do and what I think, you know, a lot of Buddhists, uh, the kind of tradition is, is that we bring it in uh, and we speak about it to the people who are interested in listening to it, to us, and we don't go trying to push it down anybody else's throat. Now we have a, a strange phenomena happening in our lifetime called social media where you know in the buddhist time it was just like oh you're interested you go listen to the guy now we're in this thing where everybody thinks that their views and opinions are really important and that we should post them publicly we should self-publish every thought that comes into our head on the internet um and, you know which means that there's a whole bunch of ignorance being spread and a whole bunch of you know public confusion and, and, and racism and sex, you know, all of it, you know, it's just out there on the social media platforms. Um, but if you do use social media in that way, uh, of course, it's uh, good to post your wise perspectives. Um, but what a great practice when we're talking, you know, maybe to try to bring this back to compassion. You know, when somebody is posting something, some racist thing, um, about what's happening with the carjackings, to have to pause and have compassion for that person that's posting it. Because, you know, we have that aversion of like, oh, this ignorant fuck. But actually take a moment and have some compassion for that ignorant fuck. Yes, they are ignorant. Yes, what they are saying is incorrect and it is based in confusion and ignorance. They're still worthy of compassion as is the whole system that is creating this uh, situation that, that Nate's talking about. I have a few more thoughts on that, but we're just about out of time. So I'll take Kay's last thoughts. Is it the same question you posted or different? No, it's different. Okay. Uh, it's more about spiritual bypass. I wanted you to just talk briefly uh, about the spiritual bypass where, um, you know, it's one thing to feel the pain and naturally I want to be aversive to it. And intellectually, I understand that the end goal is 
be compassionate. But sometimes, and less now, less now, I can I can say, I, I want to just get to the end goal, right? Like, I don't want to go through the tunnel. I know where I'm supposed to go. Let's just get there, right? So there's a spiritual bypass that happens. I do it less and less, but you know, stubbing your toe, hurting myself physically, that, okay, I'll, I can see that arise. I can see it, it fall. Um, and then I'm done, um, and have compassion for my foot, but you know, interpersonal relationships is slightly different because that pops up. And then I'm like, okay, I think I'm over it and I'm going to have compassion. And then, but you know, a week later, a year later pops up again. And so I don't know when it, you know, (laughs) when I'm ever getting to that, full total thing or if I've spiritually bypassed by intellectually knowing I need to get there you know when we have a um painful breakup or you know interaction with somebody um maybe in that moment you know we're able to say oh you know I, I see that they were confused or I was confused or um I forgive you as much as I can in this moment but useful to um, actually dedicate some time, maybe a month or or more to bringing that person into our loving kindness practice and our forgiveness practice, Mm -hmm. to not bypassing it and just being like, okay, that's done, but to continue to tend to it. Like, oh, this was a very painful situation. So let me uh, ask for forgiveness. Let me send forgiveness. Let me send loving kindness to this person for a month or two so that I'm not bypassing, but that I'm actually tending to it. Um, giving it some time in our practice so that we're really um, pro- allowing ourselves to process it rather than quickly being like, I forgive you. And then wondering, why does this keep coming back up? Why does this keep coming back up? Um, rather than spending some time really processing it in our practice. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I hope that makes sense. Okay. It's nine o'clock, so we'll end there. Um, maybe next week, the companion to compassion is equanimity. And uh, in order to avoid idiot compassion, where we're attached to the outcome, we, uh, the Buddha gave us instructions on how to develop equanimity with the pain and sorrow that uh, our loved ones experience and that people experience. <clears throat> so we'll talk about equanimity, um, I think next week. Um, If you don't have as much compassion as you would like to, um, I encourage you to join me on this seven-day meditation retreat that starts a week from Friday, where you will um, have a whole bunch of unpleasant experiences and so many opportunities to develop compassion for sitting with the ache in your ass for 15 hours a day of of, sitting and walking meditation. And... um, I think in my own experience, it's those longer retreats that really started to move the needle in how I was able to tolerate my own mind and emotions and physical sensations. And so there's, there's only so much that a 30 or 40 minute meditation daily is going to do. But when you go into silent retreat for days, you know, for this one's a seven day retreat, 
um, it really helps us develop a, a deeper level uh, of compassion. So I invite you all and encourage you, if you can come to this one, come. If not, I'll, I'm going to be posting um, next year's retreat schedule soon within the next month or two, probably. So maybe you'll get to one next year. It's the last one, last opportunity this calendar year on the West Coast, September, and then in October on the East Coast, there's a five-day retreat. So please join me if you'd like to. Class is done by donation. Um, Against the Stream is just supported by donations. So please be as generous as you can be. If you can afford a $25 donation, that's the suggested, you know, kind of ballpark for a drop-in class like this. Uh, if you can give more, please give more. If you uh, like what we're doing and want to become a, a supporter, a monthly supporter on the website, there's a link to um, doing a recurring monthly donation where you say, I don't want to give you know, 25 bucks when I show up. I just want to give 50 or $100 a month to support the, the, the cause, the organization, the nonprofit. So please consider doing that. And um, thank you in advance for your generosity. No, I forget anything, Sebastian. Good enough. There is a new T-shirt. I don't know. Sorry, not not for you at home because we didn't put it on the web store. But for those you of you here, there's a new against the stream uh, lowrider T-shirt that has Sebastian '64 and Paula on the back. Uh, you probably need one of those. Um, maybe we'll put some up for uh, online, but we haven't yet. Many goodness that comes from our practice and discussion be of benefit to each one of us. And may we share this benefit with all living beings. May we all become more and more compassionate and may our compassion have a positive effect, create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.